I still see direct selling as the most rewarding and fundamentally financially sound approaches to being an entrepreneur, to being an independent business owner. Well, hey there, and welcome back into the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. My name is Sam Hind, and it's my absolute privilege and honor not only to host this podcast for you, but also to bring in and listen to some incredible individuals from all over the globe who are just as passionate about the direct selling industry as I am. And today is absolutely no exception. I am honored to introduce you today to a very special individual, Tyler Whitehead. Now, you may have heard Tyler's name thrown around in this industry before, and that would be for good reason. Tyler has got over 22 years of experience as a direct selling executive in the industry. Both as a corporate, he has worked with companies such as Arbon, International, New Skin, and many others. And whilst Tyler is not currently working with a, a company at the moment, he has got some exciting pending news, which I'm sure we'll hear a little bit more about in 2024. But for now, one of the things to know about Tyler as we go into this interview and you get to listen on in to the conversation that we had is he is incredibly passionate about what this industry does for the individual, about how it impacts lives, that being your life. And I'm really excited to hear a little bit more from him around where this industry is going, what makes it so special and how we keep uh, capturing that as we move into this new season of technology and change. Tyler is also very invested in where this industry is going as a whole, serving on the board of both the DSA as well as the World Federation of Direct Selling and the Council for Responsible Nutrition. You're going to hear a little bit more from Tyler around a little bit of the undercurrent of conversations that have been going on uh, by through some of those organizational bodies that are overseeing this industry for you. But what I do want to point out as we go into this chat and you listen on in, is that each and every one of us has a huge part to play in both the growth and the sustainability of this incredible industry that is impacting lives every single day. If you're sitting there thinking, hey, I'm just little old me who's running my little old business and you know I can't do a whole lot to impact this industry, I want you to stop and think again because the impact that you have, how you affect the reputation of this industry as a whole and where we can take this industry into 2024. You've got plenty of power here. And I know that listening into this conversation with Tyler will inspire you, but also give you some hope and encouragement that we are on the cusp of some really exciting things. So that's it from me. You're here to listen to Tyler today. So I'm going to hand over to the interview now. Grab yourself a cup of tea or coffee, sit back and relax and enjoy the interview. Introducing Tyler Whitehead. Well, welcome back into the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. I'm your host, Sam Hind, and I'm so excited to be welcoming on in our very special guest, Tyler Whitehead. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tyler. Thank you, Sam. It's great to be with you. I'm super excited about this chat, Tyler. I know we've had a chance to catch up already and, and have a little bit of a talk about where this conversation will go today. And to be perfectly honest, this is a conversation I've wanted to have for a really long time uh, and no better person to have this conversation with, but someone who's got 22 years or over 22 years in the direct selling industry. Do you want to you know, tell us a little bit about your extensive history in this industry and uh, why you're so passionate about it? Yeah, thank you, Sam. That's that's a great question. A good good way to start, I think, to get to know a little bit about what I find in the industry so special. Um, I I started off my career as an attorney in private practice and found myself spending my days in six minute increments um, working on a lot of different companies and projects, mostly in mergers and acquisitions and investment banking and. Uh, you know, the typical kind of professional route um, to a career. And uh, after about 10 years of that, I had the opportunity to start working for some clients who were in the direct selling industry. And it seemed to me that they were having a lot more fun uh, in their projects and in their their work. 
And particularly, they were working to empower other people. And everything that they did, the culture and the, the product sets that they put together and the compensation plans that were associated with it, they were all designed to work as a system and work as a, as a unique environment to create opportunity and empower other people. And when I saw the amount of you know both fun that they were having and the good that they were doing in that industry, I was really attracted and really intrigued because my foundational values have always taught me uh, to try and serve and to try and help other people. And so this was a way of combining a business and really a professional endeavor as an executive and as a manager with that service orientation. So for me, it, it really is um, truly personal and it, it really is something that uh, to me lines up very closely with my my purpose in life which I believe is helping and serving others. So it's always been uh, a learning experience and I continue to grow and learn. And uh, But I've found uh, even through my service of many, many different companies and different clients, uh, and particularly the last 22 years, as you say, in direct selling specifically, that there's no better mix between finding that, that purposeful mission and a business orientation. And they come together so well in direct selling. Sam, as you know, uh, being around the industry and around different companies, it's it's really a powerful combination, and it just it just led me to uh, my you know foundational career, which is working in direct selling and supporting people and empowering people through those those kinds of platforms. So it's really a a, a, a work of love and and also a work of um, ongoing development for me. I'm I'm still learning, trying to figure it out. I, I think I've been in it a little while, but uh, every time I get to be around uh, some of the greats. I learn and and develop more, um, really more love and more appreciation for how good the the foundational aspects of the model can be. Yeah. And look, I've actually loved listening to you over the years. Uh, I've had the opportunity to hear you speak at the Direct Selling Association Conference in Australia, also in the US. And the the passion that you have from the for the industry, you know, really shines through. But particularly the passion that you have for the field in whichever company that you've worked with, um, and you know that perfect marriage between you know corporate, but also supporting the field and having that relationship between the two. When we first um, connected, you were working with New Skin. You then uh, obviously went to work with Arbon, and I'd love to hear a little bit about what's happening for you now because you're you you've finished up as CEO with Arbon. However, you know the overarching question here is: Are you staying in the industry? And you know where's Tyler going to end up in twenty twenty four? Right now, I am definitely committed to staying in direct selling. Uh, working on a couple of projects currently, uh, which I haven't yet been ready to announce. Um, working with um, a couple of businesses, but definitely indirect selling. And we'll, you'll see me reappear, reemerge in 2024 uh, with that new venture and uh, in a new role in a new environment um, in direct selling. And I, I guess what I would say is that I'm, I'm looking to innovate and bring really all of the amazing components of direct selling into the future. And, and that will definitely involve and require a business that's based on the channel participation. It's based on consultants as the fundamental building block, uh, what, you know, what I call the, the value creation engine of a direct selling enterprise, uh, and so that's that's what I'm working on. It's a great project. I'm super excited. I, I'm I'm hoping that I'll be able to announce something in the next uh, sixty or ninety days uh, as we get ready to launch in 2024. But uh, look for that uh, just a few weeks, and maybe you can have me back on, and I'll I'll yeah. share all the details. I feel like we we should have started this off with a wine and I could have, you know, done a bit of a shakedown to try and get some information out of you. It sounds very intriguing, Tyler, and I can't wait to hear what's happening and I'm sure our listeners can't either. So we'll mm. stay tuned for that. But, yeah, we might have to get you back on to tell us a bit about what's going on. And, and I love that you talk about innovation because this is definitely a direction I wanted to go with today. Um, one of the things that I really notice, you know, when hearing you speak and chatting with you is that you're constantly looking at evolving and particularly evolving, you know, the industry, first of all, not just to help it to survive, but to thrive. And, you know, one of the things that we're hearing a lot about, um, 
at the moment, there's this big undercurrent, a lot of conversation about this. And I think a lot of confusion as well for our listeners who don't necessarily get to be part of the corporate uh, or, or industry body conversations around the gig economy, but they're hearing this, you know, talk about the gig economy and the fact that it's impacting our industry and it's going to continue impacting our industry. And I thought, I know this is something that you and I got to chat a little bit about. I know it's definitely something that you are um, uh, obviously very familiar with. Maybe it'd be a really great opportunity to get you to explain a little bit more about, hey, what is the gig economy? How is this thing impacting our industry? And, you know, how will we see continual change happening into the future as, you know, we go into 2024 um, uh, with the gig economy uh, in, in, I guess, conjunction with the direct selling industry? Uh, you know, people use terms like disruption and, you know, the environmental change that's happening at a very fast pace. Mm. And and that really relates to the way people work. And, and that's the easiest way for me to explain or for me to try and get my mind around the gig economy. Mm. It, it really is just different elements of the way people work. And traditionally, um, you know, our direct selling environment has been one of the very few opportunities that people could seize upon to work from home and to be able to make income from home. And the gig economy is simply a, a way where combining technology with that remote working or with an opportunity that can be done through a screen, uh, performed tasks or opportunity to interact with other people or be a salesperson for a company, you know, I, I myself over the last two or three years um, as a CEO of, a, you know, multi hundred million dollar companies have worked from home in, in my basement uh, where I'm at right now. And so that, I think, is one example of that changing way people work. So the gig economy to me, Sam, is just simply that that different manner of working. And what that has done in terms of the direct selling industry is it's created competition. It's created other opportunities for people to make part-time income, have flexibility, work from home. And so it's one of those things that has disrupted to some extent mm. those opportunities. Uh, but it is also, and for every for every disruption, there's there's an equal and opposite, I think, opportunity. And in the direct selling side, it's to show people the value that comes with a culture and an environment of support and an environment of personal development and actual skill building versus turning a task. Yep. And many of the gig economy workers are people who are cranking a crank and they might be, you know, doing word processing or they might be answering telephone calls, uh, but they're missing out on those critical components in direct sales, which are having a team environment and actually learning new skills and most importantly, building your own business and, yeah. and building something that you can have equity in, in terms of that future growth and potential that you have both personally and financially. And those are very, very big differentiators between the gig economy, in my view, and, and what is available on direct sales. So while direct selling is being disrupted, and we have to face that, and at the corporate level and in the boardrooms, that's something we talk about quite a bit. How do we remain competitive? And to me, one of the fundamental ways to do that is by highlighting the differences and the advantages of a direct selling gig, if you will, against some of these other turning tasks types of endeavors where, yes, you can make $15 or $20 an hour or $25 an hour for your time, but you're really just trading your money for time and very little else. Yeah. So those are those are and that's just one of the areas. And so when we talk about innovation, it's how do we make sure that people understand the value associated with a direct selling enterprise? And more importantly, Sam, make those the highlights of what we're marketing and what we're sharing and how we how we provide people to understand this is very, very attractive when you compare those things. Just just one thought, Sam, as I as I think back on my career 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, we had a similar a similar conversation about comparing two different things. In those days, what we would compare would be, uh, in in some ways, starting your own business, or a lot of times we would talk about franchises. Yeah. Or we would talk about the comparison between you could buy a franchise and here's all the thing with a franchise, or you could have a job 
and you talk about all the things associated with having a job, or you can have a direct selling business. And, and I, I really look at today's conversation about the gig economy, and you framed it really well, where what's the difference, or is there a difference, or are we trying to make a direct selling enterprise into gig work? And I really see it differently than that. I see it about understanding and highlighting the, the real benefits of a direct selling way of working versus some of the gig economy ways of working that are becoming popular and in some ways look like they have some of the features and benefits of a direct sales enterprise, but they're really missing some of the key components. So, so my job and my role in the industry is to really help people understand that, that distinction. Yeah. And I, when it's all listed out and you compare and contrast, I still see direct selling as the most rewarding and fundamentally financially sound approaches to being an entrepreneur, to being an independent business owner, to being uh, really the you know the master of your own destiny, if you will, when it comes to how do I manage my life and how do I make an economic opportunity um, in terms of my time and my lifestyle and the things that, that go along with it. Yeah, it is a great explanation. And, you know, the where I think I have heard the gig economy thrown around the most would be in conjunction with companies such as, you know, Uber and Airbnb. And this was sort of when this became the the big thing was, hey, anyone can start their own business just by, you know, joining Uber or, you know, renting out a, a room in your house. And, you know, and then this comparison started with the industry because suddenly it was another way to work from home using things you already have. But the bottom line is, as you said, this industry is very much so about the culture. And I think what makes it so powerful and so incredible is that community element, which you just don't get from some of these other organizations and opportunities and so you know as as you've just said it's not really comparable is it it's the the one thing that's comparable is you can do it from home with very little overheads you don't need uh you know huge um uh outlay of income or even knowledge or experience to start a business in the direct selling industry or um you know other uh you know gig economy style opportunities such as airbnb and uber and all of this sort of stuff but the bottom line is you just simply don't get that incredible culture that we have and that's the thing I think we're fighting so hard to to keep um because there's lots of opportunity to to pass that you know to sort of move past that and we've seen that through COVID I think this was a really scary thing watching from you know the outside was a lot of companies were starting to think well it's too hard to get together it's too hard to have conferences it's too hard to have events maybe because of the way that the world's going we should give up on that and hey save that expense because you know uh, other organizations don't need to do that to be successful but the bottom line is that that is what makes our industry so special and unique and it's really great to see many companies starting to really re-embrace doing that and pushing the in-person side of things. I don't know if you've observed this, but certainly from our perspective, because we keynote speak at many of these events, we've noticed that this, even the hybrid side of things is starting to drop off a little bit more. And the encouragement to get people back to events in person is is starting to increase. Have you noticed that in the US with, with some companies? Yes, most definitely. And having been uh, both with NewSkin at a time when we started going through that uh, and, and with Arbonne, uh, there is this excitement in the boardroom to some extent to say, look, our expense picture for this year was just reduced because we can do everything that we used to do um, without this event or without this in-person meeting and get the same results. And I, and I, what I've experienced, and I think what now a lot of the companies that I'm, I'm consulting with and talking with, um, their experience is, uh, they thought that that would be the case, yeah. but they didn't realize the unintended consequences of lack of funding or lack of in-person connection. And over time, those deposits in that bank account that feels like an expense are really building yeah. the, the equity and building, um, you know, the relationships and building the strength. And, and really, fundamentally, Sam, it's about investing in the key value driver and the key creation of value that is direct selling. And that's in the individuals who are participating yeah, as the salespeople, as the consultants. And without that investment in them, 
um, there is a reduced return on you know the sales and the ability to find customers and the ability to sell the products, which we're all um, dependent upon to create you know to create an enterprise that that has ongoing sustainability. And that sustainability um, assumption early in COVID and during COVID that you could replace in some some ways either in-person events or through technology. And I think this is a larger question is can you replace through an app or through a Zoom meeting, um, can you replace the benefits of in-person or the benefits or the power of person-to-person selling? And that's really that intersection of technology and innovation and and what's personal and what's powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think most companies, I'm pleased to report uh, after the last couple of months, I spent some time with the World Federation of Direct Sellers Associations in Dubai in October. And yes, I was is actually- my next pleased. question. <laughs> so oh, you, good. <laughs> great segue. Well, so tell us about that because I was really excited to ask you a little bit more about the fact that you attended that. And that event actually, just to give people a little bit of background, the World Federation of Direct Selling normally meet every three years, but of course, because of COVID, they were unable to do that. And so this was the first meeting in six years. Um, and so it was a really big event. We were hoping to be there, but unfortunately, we were literally due to have a baby uh, a couple of weeks later. So we were not allowed to fly. But I'm really keen to hear from you about how that event went and what your biggest takeaways were. Well, I, and congratulations on the new addition to your family. That's Thank a wonderful you. thing. Um well, we went, did miss you in uh, in in Dubai. Uh, it was a great event, but it really did highlight uh, that that pendulum that has swung from technology focus and even even affili- the use of the word affiliate mm. uh, in terms of marketing and and really you know customer acquisition um, as being the sole focus to how do we invest in our sales. Um, you know, independent entrepreneurs, how do we invest in events? How do we make sure we're not losing the power uh, of what has been built over many, many decades? And I think if I had one of the key takeaways for me was uh, that people are very, very um, keen now to make sure they don't lose the power of those individuals uh, when they come together with a common purpose and, and for the culture itself and that has to happen in in-person events, even to the extent that, you know, us getting together after six years at the World Federation, mm. um, you know, we all felt that. And and yeah. so, you know, it's a similar dynamic and we have to invest and we have to create um, the right balance. And and obviously there are many, many uses for technology and for, for you and me to get together without having to be in person in Australia is a great thing for me. Uh, I'd love to have you here in the in the states, but we know that's a long flight and and fairly. We'll be back. We'll be back soon. <laughs> Come back. Come back and see us. Uh, but it's really that balance and making sure there's not um, a lopsided equation. And I mm. I think out of COVID, we all saw that that equation got a little lopsided on technology as the driver, and that was not sustainable. And yeah. I think that's where many of the companies last year uh, tried to reorient around what are the key value drivers. Yeah, I, I I'm really glad you brought that up because it's it's funny we um we obviously work in technology. Social media is what we teach. It's what we're passionate about. But the really funny thing about this is there is a really really fine line and a careful balance here. And you know, Greg and I have observed in the last, particularly the last three four years, there's been this skew towards technology. We believe being overused, particularly in this industry, which is such a people to people industry. And rather than it being used as a tool to to really enhance that person to person connection, it's in many cases being used to replace. And you know, this has made our jobs really interesting because you know we get a lot of people, particularly companies, coming to us saying we want you to get everyone online, show everyone how to do everything online. But really what we're here to do is help people to use the online tools that they have to build those relationships and keep what makes this industry so powerful, which is that person-to-person connection. And we're seeing this as well, of course, with conferences and events, with, you know, the the online, everything happening online. Your trainings was another thing we we're going to talk to you about today. You know, a lot of trainings are being conduct- conducted purely online now, which it's a great tool. It's a great option and opportunity, but there's 
there's so much to be said for that in-person opportunity. And I did, did want to, because we've got a lot of um, listeners here that are the field that are the consultants and distributors, uh, I would say probably 85% of our listeners are people in the field who are trying to build their businesses right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I would really encourage you guys, if you're listening to this podcast right now, support your company's conferences and events, because in order to 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 really invest in you and for them to put that budget towards investing in you, which you want them to do. Um, you also need to be willing to to step into those opportunities that are provided for you. And I think sometimes, particularly when there's something provided by the company for free, whether it's a training, whether it's an event, sometimes we don't value it because we haven't invested in it ourselves. But I really want to encourage you guys, you know, your companies are spending huge dollars on putting these events on in order to grow you, to expand you, to support you, to really invest in that culture in the company. Um, and the one really important thing that you guys can do is support those events by attending and encouraging others in your teams to attend as well, because that's what gets the companies putting more time and effort into those events uh, going forward and and really, you know, they're pivotal to the growth of of company, uh, you know, of implementation of culture of so many things. And, you know, it's those companies where they have those events and are getting those support right now that seem to be the ones that are starting to really move forward, you know, into this next season, which we'll talk about shortly. What, what's your take on that from a distributor perspective, Tyler? Are you seeing, you know, similar thing to what we are in? People seem to be a little bit hesitant to attend these events at the moment. Yeah, I think it's I think it's both. I mean, my experience, Sam, has been, um, you know, a lot of companies have had um, a, a bit of a, a – evolution, if you will, in terms of what's the role and responsibility of the company and what's the role and responsibility of the consultants and the entrepreneurs and and how do they divide and conquer and and make sure that their allocation of those resources are collectively done well. And so even we have some consultants who have their own events. And so they will have an event and they will say, if everyone comes to my event, then that may be maybe it's a month or six weeks before a corporate event. And so they think we already had an event. And so then the corporate event might not have as many attendees to your point. And yeah. so I think it's that it's really working together, um, you know, as, as the company and from the company perspective, which is the side I've always been on. Yeah. Um, it's how do I support the number of events and the, and the quality of the events that an individual consultant needs? How do I support them in their events when they, when they need an event and how do they support us building the right event for them and, yeah. and the timing and the, the frequency and the cadence of those things. Um, and then, of course, it's about the resources, as you mentioned, which are are very intensive and, they're, and they can be very expensive, but they can be very powerful. And so it's, it's really coming together uh, with the field and listening to those voices. And as you said, you know, for your listeners and, and for others in this industry, it's about how, making sure that your voice uh, is heard and that you're having that that dialogue with your corporate um, leaders and with your home office because those home office leaders want to support you. They yeah. want to develop things that help you. And if they're not, they would love to hear about how they could make what they are doing in the event or the, the number of events or the quality of the events be better. Yeah. And then when those things are working well together, that's a great recipe for success when that's really is a partnership. Yeah, and, and I have seen, I have seen that sort of uh, where the company thinks you know our events the only thing anyone should worry about, and that's really not a not a right approach. On the other hand, I think the the field and the the independent entrepreneurs need to understand that they they can take advantage and that there is great power. Um, one of the I have a a whole another we could talk another hour. I have a, a a set of principles I call the power principles for direct selling. And there's there's eight of them, but one of the very fundamental power principles for a successful direct selling company is the power of alignment. And it really is having the field um, top leaders and business builders and part-time consultants and everything in between aligned with the company's support and the customer service agents and the compensation plan. And when you have all those things aligned, it's a very powerful thing. If you get disconnected a little bit, 
um, where the field doesn't feel like they're being supported or heard, or the company doesn't feel like they understand what the needs of their ultimate customers are, which are entrepreneurs, then those disconnections or that failure of alignment can take a lot of power out of the growth of a business. But when you get that alignment working, um, then the power really comes into the into the business and everyone um, is on the same page, if you will. And that means everyone's showing up at an event that's been yeah. put on with full support and full rally and, and take advantage of all that energy that comes from that alignment. Um, yeah. I, was, um, I was about 16 years old uh, when I first went to college and I had the opportunity to go from Alaska to Utah um, for my first semester of college. And I had some friends, I arrived a little bit early in the summer and they were having uh, a weekend event and they were going up to a horse racing track. And I'd never been around horse racing or, or any like live animal events like that. Uh, but they invited me to go with them. And, um, and so in person, I went and witnessed my first horse race. And I don't know if you've ever been to like the Gold Coast or any of those events, but uh, when you get to a, like a thoroughbred racing event, um, there's something in the air that really is, it's adrenaline. And it is this excitement and this energy that comes when everyone's there and you have these amazing animals that are running and, and everyone's cheering and it's it's just this atmosphere. And, and I, I recall that was like the first experience um, in my life where I felt that kind of like in-person adrenaline happening. Yeah. The next time I felt that, Sam, was when I went to a, a direct selling convention uh, <laughs> when I was in college, and I and I immediately could feel that it was the same energy. Yeah, and and that energy does not happen through a Zoom call very often. It's pretty hard to get that same level of physical electricity and energy in the air, um, and so it's really important um, to have those things. And, but you need everybody there and you want everyone to yeah. experience it. And I think just one other technical note on events, one of the things that's made some of the events less powerful, in my opinion, from a corporate and a consultant perspective, is the ability to zoom in and watch it. Yeah. And, and I, I understand the need and the rationale for a person who's not able to attend in person to get the benefit of that event. But I think too many people are using that as a reason yeah. to not attend at all. Yep. And they're missing out on some of the fundamental benefits that happen from in person, even though you think you're watching and you get the experience and you have all the information and you know what the product launch is. Yep. There's still a really large number of elements that are missing from that in-person event. And I actually, my recommendation to some of the companies that I've worked with is that they not allow um, in you know Zoom attendees. Yeah. The We're thing more, more of these, yeah, yeah. you can only get this in-person yeah. event yeah um, to help bring back that togetherness in some ways so yeah. uh, um we'll see what happens it's still going to be a balance i think but over time I mean, it's, uh, it, we'll it's such a good point missing. you bring up and i think such you know it's a really difficult one because we've got this incredible technology that allows us to you know to reach more people and maybe reach those people that never would have come to an event which is great but you make a really good point and it's that atmosphere that you cannot replicate online um and you know we are seeing a lot of people that are saying hey i'm not going to spend that money now that i don't need to spend because i can do it online and i'll be able to get all the information that i could have got in person but save that money save that time i'll still be able to be at home with the family but the bottom line is you don't get the same experience. You don't, it's, you know, the, I, I had a very similar experience to you, not with horses, um, Tyler, but, you know, my very first experience in the industry, I actually started my first direct selling business at 14 and I didn't attend my first conference until I was nearly 17. But I didn't understand the beauty and the the incredible power of this industry until the day I walked in that room um, to my very first conference. And it suddenly it changed the industry from being just a side hustle, side gig, little business that I was running on the side to being something where I could be a part of something huge. And, you know, connecting with other people that were, you know, like-minded, um, you know, inspirational, the amount of people that I connected with in that first year that I still to this day, you know, am really close to. I, I had mentors that I worked with for many years and um, you know, they all came from those events. And the thing is, you just can't replicate that online. And, and it's a really tough one because 
you know, not offering the online version is hard because, of course, we want to be able to reach those people that otherwise couldn't have attended. But you don't want people making the decision not to attend because they've got this option at the same time. So it is a difficult balance. And, you know, we we get to sort of watch that, that um, I guess, tug of war from, from our angle because, you know, often we are providing trainings, um, you know, in a, in a hybrid sense. But whenever a company says to us, hey, do, can you do virtual or can you do in person? Our answer is always we can do both. But we highly, highly, highly recommend in person because the connection, the trust built, the the atmosphere is just not replicatable online. Um, so, yeah, look, I hear you. And actually, th- this sort of brings me to my next question. And you are um, obviously very, whilst passionate about the industry, you're also passionate about modernising the industry, technology moving forward. But there is that balancing act. And I wanted to ask you about this because I think it's a really difficult balancing act. There's a big push and pull in the industry about not losing what makes direct selling great, but also in modernizing our industry, which is such an old one. Um, and so, you know, what do you feel is really important to keep um, that, that you know, makes direct selling so powerful, but also, you know, by the same token, what do you believe we need to change in order to move forward? Yeah, it's a it's really a lot of the work that I've done over the last you know several years is that question. Uh, it's you know what are the what are the foundational elements that are important to keep? I think for me it's self it's self you know self improvement, it's empowerment, it's in person, uh, it's it's human powered. And and all of the things that that entails is a, it's a human powered business. That's the value. I love that. And I think on the other side of the equation, it's technology, and technology is an enabler. Um, and and I look at it in terms of you know when I started when I when I graduated from from university, I, we were still going to the library to use a computer uh, to get information and, and look things up. Uh, because we didn't have our own devices. We didn't have our own laptop. We didn't have, you know, I had a home computer, but it wasn't something that was connected yeah. to the internet. I don't want to admit it. I remember this time. <laughs> it was one computer so, for the whole grade. <laughs> but but we had, we had, and we had a telephone, but we didn't say, you know, the telephone is now the answer to human yeah. relationships, right? <laughs> we just used the tool. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I as I look at technologies and I look at innovations, it is, there's new tools. And there are certainly things that are better than a fax machine um, than than what we had in in 1987. Yeah. Uh, but but those things are still tools. Mm-hmm. And whether that's a, you know a link that you can send to somebody and spam people with email, mm-hmm. um, it's still a tool. It is not the replacement for the value drivers of the business. So to me, when I look at anything, Sam, that's about what are the things that create the value, it is those things like independence what you know what can create more independence it, it are it is those things like information and quality of information and not necessarily quantity because today you know, information is ubiquitous and you can get a million different um, answers to any question you want and almost so many that you're you're horrified with you know you're paralyzed by the the number of options um, so information is still an important component but the tool that you get it through is not the not the critical driver so when I'm looking at the the future of direct selling and the innovation that's happening, it's how do we deploy those tools into that framework of human powered connected commerce? Um, and in some ways, I you know I call it the experiential economy as well. Um, it's how do you create an economy, but also focus on the experiences that are a part of that. And the better the experience, and the better um, and those those experiences are better when they're more personal. They're 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 better when they're more relatable. Um, they're better when when they're tailored and focused on what you need in your life at that moment. They're better when someone cares about you. I mean, I've I've ordered a lot of things on Amazon over the years, but I have yet to have a telephone conversation or have anybody from Amazon feel like they know me or that they care about Tyler Whitehead. Yeah, I, I assume they do, but I'm a number. And a dollar sign, not necessarily a relationship. So it's focusing on those things. I think the relationship aspect, the connectedness piece, and then deploy the tools. Um, And there's a lot that companies need to do 
mostly in the back office, in the information flow, in the in the basic tools and services, um, you know, your home office app. And, and can you get the information you need quickly and easily? And is it simple? Or are you spending time uh, trying to sort through, um, you know, five different types of connection to the company? The more, the more smooth we can make those engagements, the better that experience can be on the, the technical administrative details, the better we can create those experiences that are meaningful and that actually are the powerful competitive advantage that direct selling has versus these other ways of acquiring a product, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, one of the other things that, you know, we're battling with at the moment, of course, with, you know, this these tools, the technology is the training side of things, you know, and, and it's a really tough one because, of course, you know, for many companies, it's, hey, we want to train internally uh, or we can bring external trainers in. But what's important right now, you know, where in your opinion are we lacking and need to catch up from a digital and training perspective? as an industry as a whole? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's really an important part of helping empower people and it's giving them the information they need based on where they're at in their business. Yeah. So one of, the, one of the complexities of delivering powerful training is that there's a wide variety of capabilities and, and abilities in sales. Um, there's a wide variety of, of abilities in connecting with other people and not everyone starts their direct selling journey at the same place. Yep. And so building a tool, um, it's not a one size fits all approach um, that will ever work. And so I think the complexity that many companies have faced is they've tried to build something that's generic, mm. um, that's, you know, as as we say in technology, scalable, um, yeah. that then you take you take that that tool and give it to everybody, and then everybody's better but everybody needs a different level of success. And I think that's where the leaders come into the picture very strongly. And so it really is something that's empowering leaders to develop um, and institute their approach um, to building. Um, And that that may be different from team to team. It may be different from um, passion to passion, product to product. Uh, But from a company perspective, building something that is a customizable framework is super important. And then allowing the leaders or the consultants um, to pull out the things that they need at the moment they need them. So they might be an early entrepreneur. Uh, they might be somebody who just wants to share a product here and there. They have a particular set of information and tactics that can help them. And the company can be a part of serving that up. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, it's about tailoring it to the needs um, where they're at in their business at the time and moment. And and that truly is where innovation um, can uniquely customize, uh, you know, millions of different approaches to the business uh, based on your brand and based on your approach um, can help support those leaders. So to me, it's really about customizing and still making sure we don't take it out of um, into the realm of, well, there's one approach. Um, yeah. for every single person or even from a persona by persona perspective. Yeah. And I think that's such an important point and, and something that we've definitely seen being such a challenge is that here's the one way and everyone do this and, you know, follow this exact recipe. And we often talk about it like formulas versus recipes. You can have a framework, but the exact methodology needs to be customized to the individual and the individual's business. Um, and and so, I, yeah, I love that that approach. And I, I think the other thing when it comes to training and also this industry as a whole, I want to talk about, you know, the elephant in the room here for a minute. And this is, is something that um, is is such a challenge. I would have thought that in this day and age it wasn't such a big deal right now, but definitely we're still battling against industry reputation. And, you know, uh, training impacts that. Um, technology is impacting that significantly because what used to be, um, you know, only within a personal networks is now being spread globally because of social media. Um, you know, is of course that reputation of the industry, particularly around that um the pyramid selling side of things. And 
you know, you and I both know that pyramid selling is both illegal and not what the direct selling industry, um, you know, is about. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's just that it's not what our industry does. There have been, you know, instances where, you know, companies have done the wrong things over the years. But one of the things that's really powerful about the direct selling association and companies associated with that, of course, is that, you know, ensuring that people are doing the right thing, that companies are doing the right thing and pyramid selling is not a problem is, is a big part of that. But, you know, I want to come back to pyramid selling for a second because I've been seeing of recent times more and more talk around this and association between direct selling companies and pyramid selling. And I just I just want to ask you around this, you know, how do we get over that stigma and, you know, what are you observing as far as, you know, industry reputation in this space. And uh, I know that there have been a few instances recently that you and I have talked about where this is, you know, again, come to the the forefront um, in the media as well with, with some companies recently. I just wanted to get your take on really pyramid selling the industry, how we get past this stigma. Is this something you, you think is just going to keep going or or can we actually, you know, move past this finally? Yeah, I, I I don't know, Sam. I think um, uh, you know the my experience and and remember I started as general counsel uh, to a publicly traded direct selling uh, company uh, who was very concerned about the impact uh, of the negative reputation of of direct sellers or from MLM pyramid mm. scheme types of approaches. Yeah, and and I think anytime there there is a a, a lot of opportunity and rewards financially. Um, there are going to be a few bad actors who take advantage of that, yeah. uh, and I think it's true of any industry. Uh, whether you're whether you're talking about real estate or whether you're talking about cryptocurrency or whether you're talking about um, you know Wall Street itself in the U.S., um, yeah. there are people where there's money to be made. There are the fringe elements who will arrive and decide to break the law or or disobey what are appropriate norms of doing things in an honest and upright way. And so I I guess I'll answer your last question. Will we ever get past it? I doubt it. Uh, I mean, I think there's there's so many, you know, there's $190 billion out there in the direct selling industry. And for me to say no bad actors are going to want to take advantage um, of, you know, and slice off some part of that for themselves and maybe end up in jail as a result um, and take that risk. I, I can't say that there's going to be a day when we won't find people who find that amount of market share um, appealing to them yeah. as bad actors. So that aside, I think the, you know, the opportunity today is that with transparency and with information and good information, um, we're actually seeing some great benefits um, of the things that direct selling does that are powerful for communities. They're powerful for, for humans. They're powerful for women and men and everybody who participates. Um, they improve lives. And so the flip side of that, Sam, is that there's so many amazing things that are being done. Um, the foundations and the charities that are associated with people um, the, the families that are improved when a single person finds a direct selling opportunity that they can improve their life with. And what we need to be more about, and this is one of the initiatives with the World Federation, is we need to make sure we're publicizing loudly and proudly all those millions of people whose lives are improved. Yeah. Uh, and I can tell you, you know, by comparison, you know, the people who might have been had a misrepresentation or experienced a bad experience. Um, associated with direct selling is, you know, 0.000% of the total. Um, the vast majority of interactions are positive. It's just unfortunate that the negative ones end up getting the spotlight shined on yeah. them a little bit more. And so that creates, I think, a, a misunderstanding of how bright our future is, how bright direct selling is in terms of the overall impact on the globe. It's just that negative news sells. And so that becomes somewhat of, of the, the narrative. And just one other one other final point that I would make, um, reputation to me 
um, is all about um, the consistency between the message and the expectation and the experience. So when those things are perfectly matched, you have a very, very, very high reputation score. So if someone enters into a conversation about direct selling or has an opportunity to learn about your product and you tell them about the amazing things that your product does or the business opportunity, the financial rewards that can come from building a team or selling products to people who need your products, Mm. um, when that narrative or that explanation or that story matches what they experience through their interaction with you or through their interaction with your product or through their interaction with the business opportunity, they will be over the moon excited about their experience. And that will result in them having a good experience and a good reputation to share with others. And so more things, those are consistent, our reputation goes up. When there's gaps and people are 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 told something that doesn't line up with what their experience is, they start to feel like there was a, a misunderstanding or a misrepresentation in some way. And that can create all of the issues associated with um, a negative experience. So yeah. matching those things up is really the effort um, on a company by company level, on an industry level, and making sure that people are sharing um, the opportunity. And, and I know there's frustrations too, Sam, about not being able to share the high side of that equation as much as we would like, because yeah. um, I wasn't born to be in the bottom 10% or the middle half. Um, at least I, I hope I, I try to try to rise above that and say, I can be in the, the top 10% of whatever, my class in school or my, uh, my sales numbers at the end of the month. Um, I want to be at the top. And so people are, tend to want to show that potential. They want to show that opportunity. Uh, but it's really important to give a balanced uh, impression and make sure people know the whole range of opportunities. And that doesn't mean we can't talk about the high side um, or the or the big opportunity that's there. It is, but we need to be realistic and say most people achieve a certain amount. Here's what that looks like. Um, you could be special. You could do more than that. And it takes work and it takes effort and all the things that I know. All the good companies are out there sharing this exact message right now. And that will, again, continue to be a part of that reputation improvement. Uh, But I think we can do a better job of sharing uh, the amazing things uh, that a direct selling opportunity can do for people and for the products themselves. I mean, the products speak for themselves. And focusing there is also a really important way for people to make sure the reputation stays intact. Um, Because it's not just a focus on the financial rewards. It's really how do those financial rewards come? through sharing these amazing products that people need and they would rather buy them from you um, than get online and find them from somebody that probably doesn't know their phone number. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point in there as well, which is really at the end of the day, this is a personal experience. It's a personal relationship and it's that one-to-one and there, you know, with technology, there can be this temptation to go big, um, you know, and treat everyone a little bit like a number. Hey, if they can do it on Amazon, I can do it in my business too. But you know, you bring up a really great point, which is it's about that personal experience. It's about how you use the product, how you, what you do in the business, you know, and people having that personal connection to the company, the products, the industry, rather than, you know, a, I guess, a blanket statement uh, around, you know, what you can do in, in the business. It's more about, tailoring the conversation to the individual um, because everyone is individual and everyone has different needs and everyone's going to have a different experience. And so, you know, I think there's this assumption that if I go one-to-one, it's going to take a lot longer, but the bottom line is you, you're going to have a, a, a much greater success long-term than going one-to-many. Um, and so while technology is great and we want to be using those tools to be able to reach more people, when it comes down to it, that personal experience and your personal experience is what's really powerful and it's what makes this industry what it is. And so sharing those stories, sharing how you use the product, sharing what you get up to in the business, and tailoring those conversations to people individually, um, I don't. I don't think we can uh, overestimate the power of that. Um, but it also impacts reputation, right? Which is really important. 
Um, Tyler, I feel like we can, you know, keep talking here for days about some of this stuff and, and I'm, I'm really keen to chat with you next year again around, you know, whatever this new very exciting venture is that you're going to be announcing. And, of course, uh, you know, those power principles as well. I'd love to chat with you a little bit more about that. But for right now, because we do need to wrap up, I do have four of my favourite questions I want to ask you. Are you ready for me to hit you with these before we finish up? Yeah, that would be great. Let's have some fun with this. So I would love to hear from you. What is your favorite book for our Accelerator book list? So one of my favorites that I've gone back to a couple of times over the last six months is Simon Sinek's Why. Mm-hmm. It, it just is so powerful to to go back and, and find what it is that's driving you personally. Yeah. Uh, and whether that's an organizational wide discussion uh, or with your team or on an individual basis, I think it's super powerful. So for me, um, I love all his books. They're great. But that's one that kind of sticks with me. Yeah. One of my favorites, too. So really, really great book. And uh, I, I think I've read that one twice. I've listened to it once or twice uh, on the plane. It's a brilliant book. Highly recommend anyone to check that one out for sure. Tyler, if you could have a superpower, any superpower, what would it be and why? I would want to fly. Uh, <laughs> I actually I would like to be I'd like to be able to to be transported into space. So I've always been uh, sort of a closet astronomer slash wannabe astronaut. Uh, so for me, going going to the moon, going to the stars. Wow. So for me, it would be something like I could fly in space. I was going to say, flying is probably the most common answer, but then you took it to a whole new level and I've not had that answer before. So that's that's kind of cool. I, If you could go anywhere in space, though, any planet, explore anything, where would you be headed? Oh, I think, I, I mean, Mars is the is the first choice for me because I think it's probably the most realistic. That's the practical side of me, Sam, is yeah. saying Mars, Mars might be doable. Um, yeah. Is this because some, Mars is supposed to be most like Earth? Is this the... There's supposedly water on that frozen planet. So there's the elements that would sustain life eventually. So Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm an explorer at heart. And I and that's one of the things I love about direct selling is it gives us the opportunity to go explore human boundaries and what mm -hmm. that looks like. So all right, watch that this would, space. That would be an exciting thing for me. <laughs> and Tyler, what's your favorite quote? My favorite quote, um, I I think uh, I'm, I'm going to flub it here, but it's a quote by William Steindl Rast that talks a little bit about gratitude and that the, the root of happiness and, and the root of joy um, doesn't come from being happy, but happiness comes from gratitude. Mm -hmm. And once you're grateful, uh, then you can be joyful about everything that you experience in your life. So for me, it's um, a really a, a practice I try and maintain is that, you know, spend a, a moment or two every day expressing gratitude. Yeah. And it's amazing how that can color and change your uh, perception of of whatever challenges because we have them every day. Yeah. Uh, every day we get up, we have those things. And so being grateful uh, is really important to me. And, and I think it's one of those key principles of great leaders. Um, successful people tend to be very grateful um, for their friends, for their colleagues, for their circumstances, even when the yeah. circumstances may not be something that we would look at and want. Yeah. Um, if you can be in those circumstances and be grateful for what you're learning or what you're experiencing or what can come out of it, um, it's a really powerful tool. So for me, that's probably one of the one of my best quotes. I love that. We've I've actually got something very similar in my kitchen um, uh, that says, "When you're grateful for what you have, you have everything you need." And uh, yeah, I think there's that's very very true. And it's it's it can be a challenging practice at times, but it's a powerful practice. So, by far my favorite question on every interview, and I'm keen to hear your answer to this. If you could go back in time and say one thing to your past self, what would that be? It has to be the same thing I tell my children every time I have five beautiful children and four amazing brands now. And um, I, I, I find myself saying this more and more frequently, uh, but I said it as they grew up. And I, and I think if I could go back to myself, it would say, uh, the only thing you have to fear is not dreaming big enough wow. and just dr dream bigger. Um, if I could go back to myself when I was 12 or 16 or 24, or 34 or 54, I would probably say dream bigger, Tyler, uh, because there's so much potential. And 
and I, and I've been fortunate enough to experience um, almost everything that I've dreamed of doing uh, or accomplishing. I've managed to be, if not right there, pretty darn close. And so uh, the the only the only regret I have, if I had any, would be uh, I haven't I haven't gone big enough. So dream bigger. Go back to your prior self and tell Tyler and and each of you um, make sure you know. And I tell my kids that all the time. It's like you're you're only limited by what you think you can accomplish. Yeah. yeah, that's really powerful. I love that. And what a great note to finish on. Thank you so much, Tyler, for taking the time out to share with us a little bit about um, you know, what's been happening uh in the industry and and what you've been up to. And look, I'm so excited to see what comes next for you. So thanks for taking the time out to join us today. You're very welcome, Sam. It's been my pleasure and and congratulations to all the good work that you're doing with Oxano and your team there and uh, supporting the industry. And uh, really, really great to see you today again and look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you. And look, we will chat further in 2024 and hopefully get you back in to share a bit about what's going on uh, with with some new and exciting things. So again, thanks for taking the time out. Um, Really great that we're able to use this technology to chat from one side of the globe to the other. And uh, uh, look, I I guess I just want to finish up by saying I'm so excited for, yes, where this industry has been and it's great chatting with someone who's just as passionate about the direct selling industry as I am, but I'm really excited about where it's going. And, you know, thanks for sharing a little bit about that today. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm excited for 2024. So um, watch this space, I think. I think direct selling is about to take on a, a new life, a new lease of life in this next year. So thanks again, Tyler. And thanks to our beautiful listeners for tuning in today. It's great to have you guys. And we'll see you again on the podcast next week. Bye for now. Thanks, Sam. If you love this video and you would love more help to improve your direct selling business on social media, then click on the link to join our Facebook group. I look forward to seeing you in there.